All right, we're going to come around the Word of God. We've got a lot of echo. Can we get rid of it, a bit of that? Thank you. I'm a, I'm a fairly avid reader of the news, mostly sports news. I, I do have to admit that, but I do love reading the news. And I notice that people, we become obsessed with the smallest and funniest of things at times. Sometimes these, these small things can have quite big impact. I remember reading some news a while back about, the, about a national anthem being played at a tennis tournament. And uh, it was an old national anthem for a, a country. They had a new one, but the tennis player was outraged. We, we read that word a lot, don't we? Outraged. It was the worst thing. She said this. It was the worst thing that ever happened to me. Now, having an old national anthem being played when you're playing tennis, and if that's the worst thing, then you're probably living within a huge amount of privilege. Some poor person made a mistake. Your life is not destroyed by it. In England, Quite a few years ago, they brought out a new five-pound note. And there was a couple of problems with this five-pound note. The first one was there was a quote from Winston Churchill, and it wasn't in quotation marks and didn't have a full stop at the end. Someone noticed it. Someone was so obsessed that they noticed it. They probably were looking for a mistake in the first place. The grammar police were up in arms. There are more pressing matters, I do believe. The other problem with the five-pound note is, is that vegans were not pleased, which is a general thing, really, <laughs> because they felt they were not able to use the five-pound note as it contained traces. Now, when I say traces, in one five-pound note, you're looking at something like 0.0001%. It contained traces of animal fat. There you go. That's obsession. More recently, some of you may remember that a priest made a mistake in San Francisco and he used over and over again, when he was baptizing people, baptizing infants, he used the term we instead of I. So what was said was, his cardinal said that there were thousands, every single baptism was invalid. Wow. Wow. See, the problem is we scoff, but we sometimes become obsessed over similar things. Maybe not with such big repercussions, maybe not newsworthy, but every single one of us becomes obsessed with something often trivial things to other people, but sometimes they become so big to us. And we live in times where it causes us to worry and obsess about things. Dee talked about that this morning. We haven't, we haven't talked about what I'm going to preach, but just what she was saying is very much in line with my preaching. More recently, probably more than ever before, there's been a focus on the end, or end times, end of days, as Arnold Schwarzenegger called his film. 
And the, the pandemic has caused us to reevaluate who we are, caused us to reevaluate our purpose, and, and actually probably to be confronted with our own mortality when we're bombarded hour after hour, day after day of death and destruction around us. And this series, if you don't already know, is called Culture Wars. We're actually going to be looking at some quite big topics. Last week, in Paul's last sermon as a pastor in this church, he, uh, I, I handed him the topic of pain, suffering. He really thanked me for that one. This week, we're looking at the end of days, end times. We're going to look at next week. We're going to look at things like racism. Who is my neighbor? We're going to be looking at, at the issue of gender and sexuality and how do, we, how do we deal with that as a church and followers of Jesus. Often we think when we talk about culture wars that, excuse me, that the war is that the, the, we are at war with the world around us. I'd like to say that we're probably more at war with the people within our community. That's where often the fighting gets bitterest. We are at war within ourselves. See, to disagree is not a problem. It's not. It's how we disagree that often becomes the problem. We fight wars within our community. And when you think about what a war is, a war is either defending against or offending, going towards a people group with the full intent of winning power over. And so are we more concerned about winning power over, being right than serving as Jesus commanded us to serve under? When we wage wars, cultural wars, we create enemies. And an enemy is someone, it can be described as someone who is actively or passively trying to harm or overpower you. And you can probably think, yeah, I, I can think of people or I can think of groups. It's really easy to see in the news at the moment that the, Putin and his Russian army are trying to overpower and harm the Ukrainian people and probably many others in his planning as well. But here's what I want us to think about. Do we have enemies, or have we become the enemy? See, this isn't just a, hey, let's just talk about some signs of the end times. This, is, this message is, I want us to think about who we are in what's going on in the world around us, and how we deal with that specifically. And so we're going to have some ongoing conversations about some of the big topics that affect us. And we can have conversations, not social media shouting matches. I heard this said the other day, you know, we may have heard the phrase, this is a hill, or is this a hill that you are prepared to die on? Could we change it and think about, is this a hill that we are prepared to talk on? Could we create places of conversation where we can disagree and walk away? Sometimes there's, there is no agreement. But that's okay. 
Because sometimes in winning an argument, we become the enemy who is, who is trying to overpower or harm someone else's argument. Instead of serving people like Jesus did. We're not called to ignore the issues. That's not what I'm saying. Oh, well, if we just ignore it, and then every time after it, passively aggressively deal with that person, snide comments here and there. No, we're not ignoring the conversations and the topics. That's not what we're called to do. But they can seem overwhelming when we deal with them. And I love this verse. 2 Chronicles, it's in 2 Chronicles 20. And some of the verses that I'm throwing up are not going to go up on there. I've got quite a few verses that I want to allude to and then other verses that will go up. And I want to encourage you, take some of these down. Take as many as you can down. But 2 Chronicles 20, there's a verse in there and the, the whole chapter is about the children of Israel and they're facing an overwhelming, it wasn't just one enemy, it was a group of enemies. Jehoshaphat, the king, sort of goes through and he's praying to God and he's listing what God has done and he's listing what the enemies are doing. And they're facing a group of enemies that are set on destroying them. But I love the the end of the king's prayer. He says this, and, and often this is where we are. Let's too often we try, we we try and Blag. Do you use that term here? Blag our way through things. Almost, it's not quite lying, but it's bluffing. Here's what Jehoshaphat prayed. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. See, I pray that that, more often than, than anything else, will be our prayer. God, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. So let's get back to the end of days. We become obsessed with current world conflicts, the war in Ukraine, the Syrian civil war, the war in Afghanistan, Somalia, southern Sudan, ongoing conflict in Israel and Palestine, North Korea, Myanmar, and who knows what's happening in China at the moment. See, we we become obsessed, and in our obsessions, these situations cause many to become obsessed with end times itself. Do you know, as a church, we're not alone in our thinking and wondering about end times. All you have to do is look at news reports, look at films. Films are a great indicator of what's happening in society. If you go back through, through film history, Armageddon, more recently, Greenland, The Day After Tomorrow, 2012, Knowing, Interstellar, Deep Impact, and one of my favorites, although it's not a film, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Then we have literally end-time films, Legion, Seventh Sign, End of Days. We have Tribulation films, all the Omen films, and I'm sure everyone loves Left Behind films. Oh, how they've created fear in Christians. See, I want to talk about that a bit as well. We become obsessed with signs, wars and rumors of wars, pestilence and pandemics, signs in the heavens and on earth, blood moons and falling stars, the great tribulation, the Antichrist. Who is the Antichrist? 
down through history, many leaders have been called the Antichrist. Hitler, Nero, Obama, and pretty much every other left-wing president by right-wing Christians. Trudeau, the Pope, Stalin. See, we, we like to focus on a person. If we can blame them for everything, it'll be okay. Then we have people obsessing over the date and the time, and we can say, well, we don't get involved in that, do we? But people do. It makes headlines. Harold Camping gained world notoriety quite a few years ago for predicting the end of the world. How is it that some lone nut job who predicts the end of the world makes news all over the Western world? He predicted 6th of September 1994. 1994 will be the end of the world. How many people have lived past 1994? For those of you that didn't put your hand up, I think we need to have a conversation. So obviously that didn't work out. Then he predicted Jesus would return on the 22nd of May 2011. Anyone know if Jesus returned? Not that we know of. He got that wrong, so he changed it to the end of the world on the 21st of October, 2011. See, all this does. All this does, and the media are complicit in this, is create fear in people. Do you know what the Bible says about that? There's no fear in love, but I tell you what, there is money. Isn't there? Fear is a money-making machine. End times generate fear, and fear generates money. We have a fear of our loss of comfort and way of life. I think we need to gain some perspective around that in the Western world. We are not being persecuted. There may be discrimination, but there is not persecution. How do you think the Egyptian Coptic Christians over the past quite a few years would define the difference between discrimination and persecution. How do you think the Christians in Ethiopia during communism would differentiate between discrimination and persecution? Christians in China and Russia, even at the moment, in, in Pakistan, in northern India, First century Christians being killed in their tens of thousands. Christians in Syria and Nigeria being beheaded at this very time. I think it may be difficult to persuade them that tribulation has not, has not or is not occurring there for them. And we're more concerned about the erosion of our rights and freedoms than the command of Jesus to lay down our lives for him. And I know this might be a bit uncomfortable for people, but we're not called into church to be comfortable. One of the phrases that I've heard over many, many years is that when the Holy Spirit is at work, he comforts the afflicted, but he afflicts the comfortable. And I think maybe too often the Western church, we included, are comfortable. Comfortable with how we do church and our priorities. Are you still with me, church? Because it's very silent out there at the moment. You see, I'm not preaching at you. 
I'm speaking with you because I'm involved in this. My comfort. This is a message to me and to us. We are in end times. But we've been in end times, if we read the Bible correctly, we've been in end times since Jesus' return to sit at the right hand of the Father. People have been predicting the end and looking for Jesus' return to earth since the writing of the New Testament. It's talked about there. But let me say the Bible does promise that Jesus will return as judge to separate those who are with Jesus and those who have rejected him. On the way, I went to Edmonton this past week for our, our denomination conference, the big assembly, it's, general assembly it's called. Part of it did feel like I was in heaven and then part of it felt like I was in hell. I've had... I've had less painful root canals than the business sessions at the General Assembly. But on the way there, I, and on the way back actually, I listened to some podcasts to, just to help me prepare for what I was speaking on today. And I, I love listening to N.T. Wright. He explodes my brain. He is, I've met him a few times and he is one of the foremost New Testament scholars in the world at the moment. And He unpacked many of the views within academia about end times, eschatology, that's the study of the end, apocalypse, the destruction of the earth. And I have to say, as I listened, I became more and more confused. So if these incredibly intelligent people who know far more than I could ever hope to have disagreements within them about how that's going to look and what's going to happen. How do we deal with it? It has been a, an, an interesting response when I've said and what I'm going to be talking about today. People are wanting to engage with it. But are you here because you're obsessed about the future or the present? Maybe you're here and you're, you're listening with anticipation and fear about what will happen. That's probably what I want to speak into more than anything else. We are not doomed. People may have come in here, you may have come in here thinking I was speaking about the prophecies and the signs and nailing to the wall our beliefs in pre-tribulation, post-tribulation, mid-tribulation, any of that. I'm not. Because if these godly, intelligent people who believe differing views on this with all their heart, I'm not quite sure where I fit in with all of that. I'm not going to talk about what I don't know about. But when it comes to end times, I am going to talk about what I do know and what I am certain of. If you forget everything else, if you ignore everything else, I want you to remember this. Jesus is coming back. And we can put our trust in him. You see, he's got it planned. We we like to be in control, don't we? We like to have things in order. The problem is, is that Jesus doesn't go by our time scales. 
He also says, I've not given you a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a disciplined mind. Perfect love casts out fear. And perfect love comes in the person of Jesus. Whatever your views on end times, and it is okay to have differing views of how that's going to look, it should not cause fear. And how we speak of it to other people should not cause fear. People have become obsessed with the destruction of the earth when the Bible promises renewal of the earth. When you, when you see films like Greenland and Armageddon and all of those films, it's about the destruction of the earth, but we, we read that Jesus is coming back to renew the earth. The earth and the heavens are going to be renewed and put back into created order. I don't know how that's going to work. I wish I did. It's not about the earth being destroyed and us being snatched away in the nick of time, but heaven coming down and intersecting with earth and everything being put right. That's what's going to happen. When Jesus tells his parables of, that talks about a master going away and sending servants or, or giving instructions to servants, it's always about the master coming back. Jesus bringing heaven down and putting everything right. Romans 8 talks about nature groaning with anticipation. Anticipation of decay being taken away. No more death, no more dying, no more sickness. How can that, how should that create fear in us? But we do need to have our hearts, minds, and spirits be prepared for his return. We don't know when it is. It could be today. And it could be another 2,000 years. But we need to be prepared now. But nothing in the end time should cause fear within us. It should cause anticipation. It should cause purpose. There are still, I'm, I'm, I'm off my notes now, by the way, so. <laughs> there are still 7,000 people groups who don't know and have never heard of Jesus. See, how could, how could Jesus come in this instant when he wants all people to come to know him or be given the opportunity to know him? We need to be prepared. And our hearts should not be filled with fear, but having peace. John 14 Verses 1 to 3, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may also be where I am. Don't be troubled. Don't let your hearts give way to fear. John 16, 33. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. 
See, he just told them he was going away. He told them there's going to be trouble. He said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world. In me you will have peace. Don't be alarmed. Matthew 24, verse 6. You will hear wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. God has a plan. His plan right at this moment is being outworked. His plan for you is not to cause you to fear. It's not to harm you. It's to give you hope and purpose in this world. Keep our focus. Look to Jesus. Hebrews 12, 1 to 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. How do we do that? Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer, the starter, the perfecter, the one who brings to perfection of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Jesus endured opposition so that we would not face opposition. No doesn't say that at all. It actually tells us we will face opposition. It says that he faced opposition so that we will not grow weary, so that our hearts will not give way to fear, so that we don't lose courage. You see, there are so many scriptures that encourage us that tell us not to lose heart, not to give way to fear, not to allow those things of the world, and even those things that, that are around us in the church, to come in, to invade our mind, to, to help us lose, to take courage from us. You see, when we become obsessed about that stuff, we lose the obsession with being outworking what we are commissioned to do. Let me ask you, are you ready, if all the signs have been fulfilled today, are you ready for him? There should be, if you're a follower of Christ, there should be no hesitation in saying, I don't understand it, but I am ready. I am ready. I'm ready to stay. I'm ready to go. I'm ready for Jesus' return to bring heaven to earth, to bring not to the end of the end, but the end of the beginning. We're only in the beginning. End times for us is the end of the beginning, not the end. Hebrews 10, 23 to 25, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. But encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. That day is the end of the beginning. See what we're called to do in this advice 
is to follow it in increasing measure, spur towards love and the actions of love. Not just do them, but spur each other all the more. Not in steady state, but in increasing measure. Meeting together, encouraging each other. That word encourage means to place courage in the heart of. There are so many scriptures around end times. Matthew 24, 1, and then 25 to 46. Mark 13, 1 to 37. If you want these, I can, I can post them out. There's a whole load here, and I'll, I'll do that a bit later on. But see, the thing that I want to get across to us is whatever our thoughts, whatever our certainties, whatever our discussions are on end times, it is not to create fear. You see, we have hope. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 19 says that if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. The hope isn't just for now, but it is for now. That's, we can take that. It isn't just saying there's a hope for the next life. It's saying we don't just have hope for now. We have hope for now and for the next life. In this time, in the beginning, in this season, we have hope, but we also have hope for chapter 2. God is in control. We sing Elohim, maker of heaven and earth. Yet we fail to trust him with the next few days, with our future. And as I said, Romans 8 tells us that nature is groaning not in pain, but in anticipation of its renewal. Creation itself, as we will be, free from decay. Free from destruction. It's not about destruction. It's about renewal and freedom. We look around and we can see that the world is not going well, but we can still have hope. Hebrews 11 39 to 40, these were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised, since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. There is hope. There doesn't need to be fear. I love this song. It's called Anchor. I have this hope as an anchor for my soul. Through every storm I will hold to you. With endless love, all my fear is swept away. In everything, I will trust in you. There is hope in the promise of the cross. You gave everything to save the world you love. And this hope is an anchor for my soul. Our God will stand unshakable. It's good for us to know that in this time when we are being shaken, when the world is being shaken, that our God is unshakable. I remember, I think it was 89, and I was living in a place called Penrith in Australia. It was about, I think it must have been about 70 kilometers from a city called Newcastle, not the Newcastle we've just come from, but in Australia, and there was, a, there was an earthquake. And I don't know if you've ever been in an earthquake, but 70 kilometers away, I was in the house, and it felt like 
there was a jumbo jet had flown directly just above the house and everything shook. See, when, when we're in those times where it seems like everything is shaking, God is unshakable. He doesn't, he doesn't call us into a place of fear because things are shaking. He says, take courage. Don't let your heart, your mind give way to fear. But then he commissions us to say, do it for other people. Look around you. See what's going on in the world, in your people around you. And spur them on as well. And so often we, we, we look around and we see the signs and we're looking for the enemy out there. We're looking, what's, what's the enemy? What's Satan doing? And we're waiting on the enemy to move. Jesus isn't waiting on the enemy for end times. Jesus is waiting on the Father. The enemy has no control over end times. What he can control is your heart. You see, because he can push so much social media, so much mainstream media, so much discussion that lead to arguments, that lead to fear, that lead to bitterness, that lead to separation. You see, that's what the enemy does. We're not waiting on the enemy. He doesn't have control of the end times. The Father has control of the end times. Jesus is not waiting for the enemy. Jesus is waiting for the Father. We need to keep our eyes on Jesus, as Hebrews tells us. Consider what he has done so that we do not grow weary and lose heart. So what do we do in end times? David, if you could come back up, that would be great. What do we do in end times? Sometimes it's about what we don't do. We don't lose heart. We have a hope. A hope that is secure in Jesus. When your heart would give way to fear, come back to look what Jesus has done for us. End times... They're not complicated. Yes, how we view them, there may be complications in all the terms and, and what comes first. That may be complicated, but end times are not complicated. They should not cause us to fear. Jesus has conquered death and sin. He has won already. If you're worried about end times, it's already won. End times is not about destruction, it's about restoration. Creation groans in anticipation to be set free from that which takes it from created order. Creation is being set free from decay. That's us. See, end times isn't about cowering in the mountains. It is about looking at the mountains and saying, soon you will be free as I will from decay. When heaven comes to earth and we get glimpses of that, I don't know where the 
Celtic Christianity, they call it the thin space. That, those places, those environments where you just feel God. For many of us, it's within nature. If you can imagine those moments, those moments where you are just overcome by the beauty and the awe of the nature that God has created. So that's a glimpse of heaven. That's a glimpse of the end times, just a shadow. You heard the saying, they were just a shadow of their former self. When someone's maybe been ill or, or, or they've gone through some stuff and it's just, they're just a shadow of their former selves. That's what earth is like. Just a shadow of their future self. When we glimpse the beauty of the mountains and of nature and of the prairies, there's beauty out there, by the way. When we glimpse the beauty and the awe of what we see in nature, it's just a shadow of its future self. Why? Because heaven is coming down and restoring everything to created order. It is not destruction, it's restoration. You see, that should excite us. God has a plan. We do need to remember that we have a purpose within that plan. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 to 20 tells us that we are his ambassadors that we're called to give his message. He's commissioned us to bring his message of reconciliation, of redemption, of hope, of love to the world around us. Because when he comes, yes, he will come to judge. To separate those that have stepped into new life from those that have rejected Jesus. There's a film about the end times, destruction of the earth called 2012. I think I might have mentioned this before. There's a moment in it in the library and everything's frozen outside and they're, they're burning wood and books to try and stay warm and everything is a bit like Saskatoon last Christmas and, and New Year. And there's a group of people and there's this young guy and he knows that the safest place is in the library because people will come. But there's a group that decide they're going to go out and he's desperate to stop them. He's trying to stem the flow of people walking out the door. See, the problem is, is we just get so involved in our own lives that we forget there is judgment coming. How do we stop people walking to their own death and destruction through sin? How do we introduce people to Jesus? He's given us. He's commissioned us. He's purposed us. He's commanded us. Go make disciples. And we are so fearful. We've been made to be so fearful. Our time is gone and I'm re I really apologize, but... been so fearful of talking to people about Jesus. We've taken on board the message of the enemy that says your faith is your private matter. It's okay if you have it, you have your truth, I'll have mine. 
But Jesus says, go tell people about me. You are my mouthpiece. We cannot walk away. We cannot allow our hearts to give way to fear. But we also cannot be unprepared and unpurposed in these end times. Can I pray with you? Father God, I thank you for your message of hope. you bring to this world and I pray God that in everything we do we will keep our eyes fixed on you your purpose your commission your love your grace God I pray that we will not allow our hearts to give way to fear I pray God that we will not get our eyes off what You've called us to do unto the things of the world. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's just keep our eyes closed, head bowed just for a few moments. See, this message has been quite difficult to prepare because I wanted to get across the weightiness of what I'm saying. But what I don't want to do is create fear in those of you that have never made a decision. But there is a time and the time is now for you to make a decision to follow Jesus. Don't walk away. Don't don't ignore it and say, hey, maybe next week. It's not about the fear. It's about saying, I want to be, I want to know this Jesus. I I want to be in his presence. There's something that these people see that I can't explain. And I want to invite you, challenge you into this place of relationship with Jesus, into this place of forgiveness with the one who gave his life for you. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, if you're you're online at the moment, you're going to have an opportunity as well. All I want you to do simply, if you know that I'm speaking to you, whether it's a first-time decision or a a decision that you've made before but you've gone away and God's calling you back into family. Or you as a young person have grown up with a, within a faith environment but God is saying, hey, my relationship needs to be with you from now on. All I want you to simply do is put your hand in the air and then we're going to pray a simple prayer together. You're just saying to me, to one or two of the team that are watching that are helping me, yeah, this, I want this. I don't know what it is but I want this. If you're online, you can indicate to to one of the team, I've made that decision. So you're saying yes to Jesus right now. Why don't you raise your hand, maybe even give me a wave if I can't see you. Saying yes to his love, his grace, his forgiveness. Okay, we're going to pray. If you put your hand up or even if you didn't, but you know in your heart, I'm, I'm saying this prayer. And say it along with me quietly in your heart. You could even say it out loud if you want. And at the end of that prayer, we're going to celebrate as a church because every decision deserves a celebration. Let's pray. Dear God, I come to you now and I give you my life. I ask for forgiveness of my sin. And I ask that you make me your own. Thank you that I am clean that I am forgiven, and that I am yours. Thank you that your love casts out 
all fear. And from this moment forward, I am now a follower of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Come on, church. Why don't we celebrate?